Good afternoon, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to Episode 6 of Disability Rights Today. Disability Rights Today provides listeners with new insights on recent court cases that shape the Americans with Disabilities Act and have an impact on the civil rights of people with disabilities. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director of the Southeast ADA Center. And as a reminder, listening audience, if you have questions about the ADA, you can use our online form anytime at disabilityrightstoday.org. In 2008, Theodore Karen Stalas sued the city of Miami Springs, Florida, alleging the city violated Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 because its facilities and infrastructure were inaccessible to him due to his disability. He later withdrew the lawsuit, believing he lacked constitutional standing because his multiple sclerosis at the time had not progressed to a loss of mobility. In 2019, when Mr. Karen Stalas's MS had progressed, he required a wheelchair for mobility. He cho chose to refile his suit, but the district court dismissed the case, believing that he was barred by the four-year statute of limitations triggered by the 2008 filing. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the lower court ruling, saying that Mr. Karen Stalas need not file until his disability substantially limited his mobility. Today, to talk about Karen Stallis versus the City of Miami Springs, I want to welcome the plaintiff, Mr. Theodore D. Karen Stallis, his attorney, Matthew Dietz, founding member and current litigation director at Disability Independence Group in Miami, Florida, and as always, our host, Dr. Peter Blank. So welcome, everybody. It's a privilege to have you here. And Peter, I'll turn it over to you. Welcome, Theo and Matt. It's a pleasure to be with you both. Your important work is greatly improving the civil rights of people with disabilities, not only in Florida, but across the country. I thought I'd start first with Matt. Theo, we're going to have plenty of time with you. But I think it's important for our listeners to know Matt Dietz is among the premier litigators in disability civil rights in the United States and has brought some of the most leading edge cases that have changed the law for the better for persons with disabilities. He is the litigation director of the Disability Independence Group, affectionately known as BIG in Miami. And I thought, Matt, maybe you'd start by saying a few words grounding us in your experience and what you do at DIG. And then I was gonna to turn to Theo and talk about how he came to use your services? Sure. Well, Disability Independence Group was, was founded in 2004 um, to really enhance the opportunities for persons with disabilities in, in Florida and, uh, and across the country. What we do is we handle both litigation and we represent folks from ADA to fair housing to any type of, of disability related action. Um, and we also have a, a nonprofit where we have programs and services 
for persons with disabilities. For example, what we do is we train persons who have autism as well as police on how to interact to improve safe, um, safe coordination with each other. Also, we do a lot of issues involving effective communication and the deaf and other issues involving employment and programs and services for persons with disabilities across, across Florida and across the country. And of course, DIG is headquartered in Miami. Uh, Matt, say a word or two about some of the seminal cases that DIG has been involved with, just a few of them to give people a sense of the impact and the nature of the issues. Sure. Um, for example, now DIG is handling cases involving ensuring that schools have the right to protect children with disabilities by ensuring a mask mandate or quarantining of people with COVID. Um, we've done a lot of work involving ensuring effective communication, defining what effective communication is for the deaf in, across the country. We've also done work with regards to ensuring that persons can receive damages for, for discriminatory acts under the Rehabilitation Act, which is very similar to the ADA. In addition, we've done a lot of work to secure persons' rights in having assistance animals, both in their home if for, for psychiatric reasons or for psychological reasons, and also at their workplace as well. So one of the big issues that we do is we assist people with service animals. Thank you, Matt. Theo, if I can turn to you now, tell us first a little bit about yourself, your experience as a person with a disability, and then we'll lead up to how you got involved in this case and then approached Matt. Sure, thank you. Um, my name is Theo Karatsalis. I'm, I'm from San Francisco, California. I've, I've lived here for about 25 years. Um, and I, Sorry, my thought process. No, that's great. So you moved to Florida. And what were you doing? What was your employment at the time? Yes, um, at, at the time, I, I worked for the um, United States Immigration and Naturalization Service. And, and my, I met my wife at the um, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And uh, at the time, I had a very, uh, I, had a, I, had, I had a challenge learning Spanish. And my teacher pulled me aside and he said, it's probably best for a person like you just to move to a place where they speak a lot of Spanish. So that's how I ended up in Miami, Florida. Oh, interesting. Now, tell us about, if you don't mind, the nature of your disability, how that progressed, and then led to the circumstances of the case we're going to talk about. Yes. Um, I, I've had multiple sclerosis since um, 19, 1999. Starting around 2016, I developed um, another illness called psoriatic arthritis. And, and I also have uh, schizophrenia, which I've had since childhood. And about three years ago, everything converged at a high rate of speed. You were still working at the time at the same place three years ago? Um, I, was, I was the assistant library director at Miami-Dade College. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was there since um, 2004. Mm -hmm. and, and my career ended mm -hmm. around that time. And then how did this litigation evolve? What was going on that made you first attempt to resolve this or file a claim? I, 
I found that I had to use a walker um, and my neurologist also um, prescribed a, a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And as I tried to get about um, town, I, I noticed there were, there were some issues. For example, the sidewalk in front of my home, um, I live on a corner, it doesn't have a curb cut. So if, if, I need, if I need to go across the street, I need to go out the driveway into the busy street by the high school and um, 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 issues like that. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. And when I try to use the recreational um, facilities in our city, um, one side doesn't have a sidewalk. I mean, there, it, it was, um, I should mention too, the, the, the city of Miami Springs is, a, is going on 100 years old. It's only three square miles population, 14,000. And uh, um, at one time it was referred to as Mayberry because it's kind of like a Southern, it's mm -hmm. like a Southern um, mm -hmm. feel. But one thing that it needs, it has problems with this is accessibility, which I learned. Uh, and it's a hard way. So what happened? You experienced these barriers and what did you do? I went, I approached the city manager and I also approached the city council and they told me um, to be patient. Now in, in 2008, they told me the same thing, to be patient that mm -hmm. things will, um, will, will take care of it over, over time. But in this case, my, my first case was filed in 2008, and now we're in about 2019, and I still have the same issue. So you filed this case. Let me turn to Matt for a second, if I could. So Matt, we're talking about accessibility barriers, maybe other barriers. Please explain why the ADA and one of its titles, Title II, is involved with this. Sure. Well, the, the important, one of the important issues in this case is the CO acted pro se. He was a self-advocate. He was able to identify what his, his barriers to the community. And he knew enough about the ADA to say, um, I'm entitled to be able to park. I'm entitled to be able to go into anywhere anybody else goes. And that's what the ADA essentially does with regards to to programs and services of, of public entities. And where is like that? Cities. Where is that in the ADA? It's Title II of the ADA. So there's a specific title that just applies to these sorts of public services, and feel you were aware of that. Yes. So you filed this complaint under this law, ADA Title II? Yes. And when was that? 2019. 2019. And what happened? I lost. With, with this with this particular case. So the first time you filed it, you the, lost? The, the first time I filed it in, in 2008. Um, they said be patient. Yes, I, I recall meeting with county attorneys because I named the county as a defendant. Mm -hmm. And I believe I named the state um, Florida Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. And I think Florida East Coast Railway was even involved, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we all sat down at a big table and um, on a handshake, mm -hmm. they said, listen, you know, we'll clean it up to us, we'll, we'll, we'll make things right. That was 2008. So Matt, what was he doing essentially for listeners? Is there some form or something? Or what was he doing, pro se? Well, well, in 2008, he was essentially saying, you need to fix the whole city, you need to make it accessible. And um, at the time, Theo was a, a biker. And he was doing this because for bike paths and things like that, that, that 
involved him at that time. Mm -hmm. But also, like many advocates, he said, I want everything accessible. And then, but I mean, how did he do that? Did he file he, a paper? He filed, he What's filed a paper. In, he filed a paper in court. He named the parties. He he knew. Um, he looked at other people's complaints and what they did. And this is federal court. This is in federal court. Mm -hmm. And he and he sued them. And he said, you know, I'm a, a person with a disability. I want to see this fixed. So what happened to that 2008? It was complaint? it was dismissed. He dismissed it. You dismissed it yourself. I dismissed it voluntarily. Um, I believe at that time I also volunteered at the law library. And to answer your question, I think I just went and pulled a pulled a uh, pleading template. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. worked it a little bit and filed it. Mm -hmm. Why did you voluntarily dismiss it? Because it was my understanding that that the parties that I named were, were, were going to were going to rectify. The so they assured you, be patient. We'll take care of it. Yes. And then what happened? I waited. Ten years. Yes. <laughs> also, Theo, didn't um, didn't they tell you that that you didn't have the right to bring it for some things? Thank you, man. And what did they tell you with that? That I did not have standing, that I shouldn't be there because I looked um, at, at the time I was I was very fit. I mean, when I went to the to the 111 building at the time where we had the conference, I I, I would take my bicycle. I mean, I I had a bill that was very strong. Um, but for our listeners, you were standing. But what does this mean? He didn't have standing, Matt, well, at that time. Well, in order to have standing. Legal standing. In order to have legal standing, not being able to stand, but or being able to bring a case in court, you have to be, you have to have a personal stake. You have to have something that, that you need in when you bring that. For example, Theo, as a person who goes in on a bicycle is not, and who walks in carrying his bicycle is not going to need a handicapped spot because he doesn't, he doesn't use a wheelchair. He doesn't have a, a mobility impairment at the time. At the time he had, um, it was a, a vision impairment. Right. Was that related to the MS? Yes. Double vision. Right. And, and, and you've always been an act, an activist, right? Yes. So you, and you wanted to make change. And, and to do it in a way that you could safely use the city services. So did 10 years go by or however period of time and you just waited? What happened over that period of time? I was fit. I was strong. Um, five years ago, I, I placed third in our, in our city's turkey trial. I, I was fast. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I did it have the need that I that I do now. So in other words, your condition progressed to the point where Matt, he would then have quote standing? Is that or is that that was the issue in the case, I guess. Right? That, that was the issue. When the issue in the case is when does standing start? Okay, so let me just, just say so did you then file another complaint yes. in 2019? Yes. Again by yourself pro se? Yes. And was it the same, basically the same complaint as you initially filed or a little more involved? I, I believe so. I believe it was basically the same. I, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that I tailored it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that was filed. It went to the federal court again. And the federal court said that, what? Federal court first said, um, pro se plaintiff, you don't, um, you don't state a claim. You have to 
state your claim clearly. So what and, does that mean? What did he, what didn't he do? Well, he needed to be more he needed to be more definite as to the exact areas that that he had an issue with. And then Theo came to me and, and he says, you know, I'm at my wit's end. Well, he was at the level of his legal knowledge. Right. So, so Theo, you came to Matt after this complaint was dismissed or while you were, they, what did they ask? Did the court ask him for a more definite statement or something or what, what happened? What led you to Matt? All roads lead to Matt, but in this case, what led you to Matt? Because what did the court do? The court dismissed my case, and what led me to that was complete desperation. I recall the day I came here in my walker, I was covered head to toe in welts, and I, I could barely move. And I and I, I just asked Matt to take a look at this particular case, and he, he said he would. How did you find out about Matt? Well, Matt, for, for about 20 years, I, I worked at a law firm in Coral Gables mm -hmm. many years ago, and mm -hmm. I used to go to the coffee shop on the right. corner, and that's where Matt was. So you knew of, of Matt. Okay, so the court dismissed your lawsuit in 2019, but how were you able to then re reinvigorate it, Matt? We filed again, presumably, what it was. Explain to them how that could happen, Matt. Well, one it's in order. Because um, the court likes to limit the number of cases, um, the court has stricter requirements when, when you have to say a claim, especially when it comes to ADA issues, because there's been so many ADA cases filed in South Florida. Mm -hmm. so, so they really wanted it to be specific, both as to Theo's disability and as to the barriers he faces. So, so I amended it once to, to make it clear exactly what we were asking for and how Theo had been, had been damaged. Since it was a really relatively simple suit, basically what he asked for is accessible parking spaces in the city. Mm -hmm. He asked for um, accessible path of travel in, in the gym. And he asked for um, accessible sidewalks by his house leading to the athletic facility. Let me stop you there, Matt, just for our listeners, which is an important issue. We're going to get back to your case. So had you filed any ADA cases before these two? Yes. And were there a number of them or, or uh, just a few? I, 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 believe, I believe it was just one. At the time, it was against the TSA. Okay, so you weren't, this is what I'm going to ask Matt, in Florida and elsewhere, there's this sense that people are filing these multiple frivolous cases, and I wanted Matt to just give us a little context. You're not a serial ADA claim bringer, no, but why, why are the courts, what are the courts dealing with in that regard, Matt? Why is there this sort of uh, suspicion or caution about ADA claims? Have there been a lot of serial uh, filings in Florida, with, which has given the courts a bad taste in their mouth? Yes, there's there's been a lot of, of serial filings. Um, many times, they are legitimate claims, but you have, even though you have 
over 25% of the population of Miami-Dade that, that are persons with disabilities and encounter these barriers, you only have a handful of people that bring these claims. And, th and Theo was not one of them. Theo was not one of them. Okay. Theo, Theo has always been an advocate. Right. Theo, Theo is, is a um, writer for newspapers. He does articles. He is an incredible advocate. And he knows how to use the courts. But he hasn't been one of these people that file all of these claims. And the problem is, is many of those claims get relief, but don't get sufficient relief and don't make sure that that's done. So even though there may have been other claims, the, the fixes may not have been done. So what Theo needed was something simple. He needed a, a, a sidewalk that he could use. Mm -hmm. He needed a parking spot that he could park in so he doesn't have to walk 300, 400 feet to, to, to get to where he needs to go. And so he wasn't sending out hundreds of demand letters and to shops and everything else like that. No. I want to take a brief uh, break now to thank our listeners and to remind you that if you have questions about this topic or any other Dis Disability Rights Today topics, you can submit your questions online at disabilityrightstoday.org, all one word, or call the Southeast ADA Center at 1-404-541-9001. Disability Rights Today is your go-to source for in-depth discussion about recent court cases that shaped the Americans with Disabilities Act. Guests include plaintiffs, plaintiff counsel, and others relevant to the highlighted case. Facts of the case, issues of the case, arguments of the case, and discussions of implications for policy and practice moving forward will be our focus. Hosted by Dr. Peter Blank, an American academic, psychologist, and lawyer, who holds the titles of University Professor and Chairman of the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, Disability Rights Today will appeal to disability rights advocates, attorneys, and others wanting to keep current on the latest legal developments involving the ADA. Tune in at disabilityrightstoday.org. Welcome back. We're continuing to talk with our great guests, Theo and Matt the plaintiffs and the attorney respectively in a, an important case in against the city of Miami Springs, Florida, a Title II, ADA Title II case. And we were just getting to the point where Theo had filed his complaint in 2019 and Matt had come on board. And Matt, you, I guess you said you amended the complaint to make it more definite. Then what happens in this litigation? Then it was dismissed again. Doesn't the state or the city have to respond? Or? Yeah, it was, it was, they filed a motion to dismiss um, and, the, and the court dismissed it again because the court wanted for me to focus on why Theo filed the case in 2008, on how Theo could bring the case now if he had already filed a case against the city of Miami Springs in 2008. So let me stop you there for our listeners. So the court issues this order that gets rid of the case, the so-called motion to dismiss. And you have to respond to that and explain why it shouldn't be? In a, in a new complaint. 
So the court allowed you the opportunity to file a new complaint? Correct. But I had to focus on the differences between Theo in 2008 and Theo in 2019. Okay, so this is a new, well, a continuation of this lawsuit. Correct. And does the, did the court rule on that? Well, yes, and the court found, well, there was a motion to dismiss. A second one? A third one. A third one. And, and the court then found that Theo had to bring the case within four years of him beginning the disability. So it wasn't even 2008. He would have to bring the case within four years of 1999. And what was the logic behind that? It, it was ultimately reversed, but what was the court's logic and fundamental error, I guess, that the 11th Circuit found? The, the, the fundamental error was, um, and the argument from the city was it doesn't matter how your disability progresses. Disabilities will always progress. So it just matters when he got the disability. So in, 2000, in 1999, he should have known or had reason to know that he was going to have MS, that he was going to have a mobility impairment sometime in the future, and he would have four years to bring the case. What was your argument to the court for why that was wrong at the district court level? It, it, was, it was the same argument at the, at the appellate court level, but there were two different arguments. At the appellate court level? Both, in the district court level. So tell us about that, please. The, on the first argument, which some states have, have done, some circuits have done, is, is the case starts again, the timeline starts again, every time a person with a disability faces a barrier. So that any time that, that you go out and you have a step, the timeline would start again. The four years would start at that point. So let me just stop you there. Is there a name for that sort of um, theory of the case every time you hit a barrier? That's called the repeated violation theory. Okay. And did the 11th Circuit Courts have that? No. So what other circuit courts, other other circuits had that? The 10th Circuit had that. Because you always hear about these disputes between the circuits and whether this then could go to the United States Supreme Court. And, and I believe that was Colorado, which is the 10th Circuit. So there's a disagreement between these circuits, which contain these district courts. And they're what, what are there, 11 or 12? 11. There are 11. In D.C. Uh, appellate circuits in the federal system in which are embedded all these district courts. Correct. So we're in the 11th Circuit, which includes Florida. Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. And what was the theory of the case as opposed to, what did you call it in the 10th Circuit? The repeated violation. What, is, what was the 11th Circuit theory of this? Well, the 11th Circuit didn't have a set theory for this type of issue. And I said that the issue that it, it was was another theory called the continuing violation theory, which means that once he has noticed, once it, it affects him, the time does not begin. So first he would have to be injured. He would have to have an injury. And then from the point of the injury, then he has four years from that point. The injury being the barrier? The when he not first- the, Not a physical injury. Well, when, when, his, when his disability progressed enough right. 
that the barrier would force him to suffer discrimination. So until he got that, that handicap placard that said he could park in an accessible space, the fact that the city did not have sufficient parking, didn't, he did not get an injury yet from that violation. He did not suffer discrimination from that violation. Would he have won earlier in the 10th Circuit on these same facts? Yes, he would have won. The, the 11th Circuit did not go as far as the 10th Circuit did in using the repeated violation theory because it didn't have to. So let me go to Theo for a second. We'll come back to the 11th Circuit. So what was going on for you when you had these three uh, dismissals? I mean, what was Matt saying to you? What was your mindset? Obviously, you want to dig in. That's a pun, I guess. You wanted to dig in and proceed. I'm sure I'm not the first person, Matt, to, to use that. Nobody liked it. <laughs> what was going on for you at this time? They dismissed it a third time. What were you thinking? What, were you, you wanted to fight this through, right? I was thinking that that was the end of the line. I, I felt despair. I, I felt uh, lost, really. Mm -hmm. And then your knight rides in on his horse, and you're before the 11th Circuit all of a sudden. Was this a virtual argument, Matt, or a person argument? A virtual argument. Did you watch the argument? I watched it with my entire family. And, wow. I, and I've watched it since at least 20 times. I'd like to see it. It probably got higher ratings than the Super Bowl, I would think, if Matt was litigating here. Mr. Dietz hit a grand slam. It was remarkable. All right, so Matt, tell people what happens. You show up, usually you go to the court, but there's three judges, right? So-called panel. And take us through that oral argument. What were they What were they saying to you? Who went first? You went first? I went first. The appellant always goes first, and then the appellee goes after them. Mm -hmm. um, and the, and we briefed the case before that because both parties have to put in their arguments in writing. So the written papers, yeah. So, so there has to be written papers. And then the oral argument is the opportunity for the court to ask us questions. Was it, you don't have to name the judges, was it a receptive panel of judges that were interested in? It was a very receptive panel of judges. I've handled over 20 oral arguments in front of the 11th Circuit, and it's, they're always extremely well prepared. They, they know the case well, they, they have questions ready for you, and they keep you on your feet. What, what were sort of the, where were they drilling into an oral argument? What, what was the main issue they were grappling with? It, the decision by the trial court really didn't pass the common sense test. Mm -hmm. So what does and that mean? Which, which means that for, for a person like Theo that's lived in the city of Miami Springs for years, how do you live with discrimination without progressing it? How do you, it does, does that mean that, that once four years pass, they have a free pass to discriminate whenever they, they want to their existing citizens. But what, what was, I get that, we get that. What was the legal issue, whether this repeated violation or continuing violation, whether that would be the, the touchstone in the 11th Circuit or what was the, what was the legal framework they were establishing? Well, they didn't have to go that far. And I, and I think that they heard an argument both 
on the continuing violation and, and the repeated violation theory. Um, and when a case accrues, and when it, which means when a person has the right to bring a cause of action, and, and when that time stops. Um, there's been a lot of cases in the 11th Circuit about when a person has standing to bring a case. The legal, the legal the, right. The legal right. Yeah. And, and most of the cases in the 11th Circuit involves when a person has standing. And many times the, the court finds that the person does not have legal standing to bring a case. Why is it that many of these cases have that basic issue? That is because they're not set up properly or because they, they don't have Matt Deitch as the lawyer or what, why? Because um, many, many people, um, it's, it's difficult to, to allege standing. Um, allege when you have a cause of action, allege when you have been injured. And because there's been so many cases in the Southern District of Florida and in Florida courts, it's, it's a way a court can, can dismiss a case kind of without getting to the merits. Let me ask you about the oral argument. Any takeaways from that? Did you think you were gonna, you were looking good or is it hard to predict or? It, I thought after the oral argument that we were looking really good because, because the, essentially the court said that this doesn't, it, there's no basis for this opinion. If you can't bring a cause of action because you don't have standing, because his injury was not, his disability was not severe enough, right. how could you be barred from bringing the case once you do have standing? Because it's almost like it's a different case. Right. It's, it's a new... It's know. a new injury. Yes. So once you're injured, that's when the time begins. Why would the district court possibly think otherwise? I mean, as you said, kind of common sense. And it if, happens. And if 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 I knew this, then I would be out of business. <laughs> I it, the um, the fact is sometimes courts make make incorrect decisions, and that's why you have the appeals court. And um, it's difficult, it's time consuming, it's expensive, and many people don't go that far. And they see a lot of cases in this report. Right. As you said. So so tell us in a nutshell then, what did the ruling say that was in, obviously that that benefited Theo, but also that was important to the disability community? Well, the 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 bottom line takeaway is that if you have a progressive disability, you don't have to bring all of your litigation for the rest of your life within four years of, of, of getting the disability, because, of getting the condition. Because the injury changes, like you said. And as you get older, the, your injury changes, your, your, the effect that a barrier has on you change. So, so if your disability worsens over time, um, you are not precluded from, from bringing a case just because you need another accommodation. And it doesn't matter whether it's a public, uh, a public accommodation like a business. 
It doesn't matter whether it's a governmental entity. It doesn't matter if it's a job. Disability is a fluid issue. And as, as you get, as your disability progresses, you change. As anybody gets older, they change. So, so you're really not limited as you get older. I mean, it is common sense. You just take it at the time you experience an injury. Unfortunately, the law is not always common sense. All right. So, <laughs> so you got the decision. Theo, your first reaction? When you, when you, did Matt call you? Did, well, you heard your argument, so you were encouraged. When you got, he got the written decision and sent it to you, what was your reaction? I started crying. It's very grateful. Very personal thing. Now, in some sense, the work now has just begun. This was a threshold issue, whether you could even be in the court. What does the 11th Circuit do then with that ruling? Or for our listeners, it would go back to the district court with some sort of instructions or what happened? What does the 11th Circuit do that now the district court must do? Well, the 11th Circuit, um, remanded it, it's called a remand, reverse the decision of the, the district court and remanded it back to hold that Theo has the right to bring a case, that he, that he now has the right to bring a case for any issue because of his mobility impairment against against the city of, of Miami Springs. But did that mean then that the 2019 claim was good? The 2019 claim was good. We just have to prove it now. You have to go to trial. We have to, we have to, it's, we have to find out how to fix it, what to do to fix it. And then we go to trial and we have to show the court how to, how it can be done. But what if the city, we talked about this a little bit early, says they said patience in 2008 or whatever. What if they fix it? What, what does that mean? Well, if they, if they fix it, it depends on whether or not it's, it's a permanent fix and whether or not they can choose to change it in, their, um, in the future. When you talk about things that, for example, you're changing a step to a ramp. That may be a permanent fix. But when you're talking about things like painting uh, a sidewalk or painting a street, those things have to be done every three years. So it's hard for them to be permanent. But let me ask you this, you know, we're lawyers. So they fixed something in 2022. Does that mean that even though he had a barrier in 2019, you're out of luck? No, it means that if they fix it in 2022, it has to be fixed. It still has to be fixed for 2025, 2028, 2030. And he doesn't have to bring a case every time the paint fades. But I mean, does that mean he loses his 2019? No, it means that what the court does in any ADA case, the main relief is you ask the court for injunctive relief, which means that you ask the court for an order that requires the defendant in here, the city of Miami Springs, to ensure that that element will be accessible 
at all times in the future for, for, for Theo. So in, in that way, you don't have to bring a case again in 2023, in 2025, in 2028. They have the duty to always maintain it as accessible. So you hear this idea of the case being moot. So they fix it in 2022 and, and say it's fixed forever. Does that mean that his 2019 injury is no longer fixable by the court? Unless, unless he has a claim for damages. So you could have injunctive relief, which is the court ordering them to fix it. And then what's the damages? Explain that. Well, under Title II, which deals with public entities or entities that receive federal financial assistance like grants or any other type of federal aid, um, if they violate a person's rights, then, then there is a claim for damages. Now, in order to prove damages- Damages is money? Money, yeah, money. For, for the inconvenience, for the mental anguish, for whatever discrimination damages that, that a person suffers because of that. But in, in order to get damages, you, you need to establish that, that the failure to comply with the law, the discrimination was intentional, that, the that a public actor knew that, that it was discriminated when it failed to, to fix the streets. You now, mean they it, did it deliberately? They, they either did it deliberately or they did it with, or, or they were entirely indifferent. They really didn't care. So they were clueless about, to a point where they should have known better. Correct. And with Theo, the, um, the question is, if they knew about the problems since 2008 and said, yeah, we'll take care of it eventually. And 2018 comes across and it's still not done. He goes, how come it's not done yet? Then, then the, the issue is, why didn't they do it? So they're kind of blowing him off. Correct. Is blowing off deliberate indifference? And the question is, yes, it could be deliberate indifference if they just blow somebody off. So you have to go back and do all this legal process again Leah, uh, Theo, where are you at now psychologically and how do you feel vindicated? Well, actually, the court hasn't really decided the issue yet. You're vindicated because you've helped create some clearer law about who can go into the courtroom. What are you thinking at this time in your life? Psychologically, I have one foot on the ground because I'm dealing, I'm dealing with several progressive disabilities at once, mm -hmm. um, which, which require um, a lot of medication. And, and, and it just makes the thought process um, um, a lot slower. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled. I, I do feel vindicated. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just wondering what the, what's ahead now with, with this particular case, because I don't understand all the terminology or the legalese. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought since we won on the appeal, that was the end of it. So well, let's ask Matt. Matt, what's ahead? And uh, obviously they could always settle the case. You could settle the case. But if if there's no settlement, are we still looking at years down the road, another potential appeal? Um, there's always that potential, but this is an older case now since it's been up on appeal and we're asking the court to expedite it. So hopefully if we do go to trial on this, it'll be by the summer. 
And you would think, you correct me if I'm wrong, they're getting more and more willfully deliberate if they're not trying to fix it now because everybody's aware of, of this situation. Right? Well, and, that, and the question is, if they don't fix it, then it's something that's relatively easy to prove. Either they have a parking spot or they don't have a parking spot. Either they have accessible path pathways or they don't have accessible pathways. The, um, the more difficult thing is if they try to fix it and then to prove intentional intentionality. Mm -hmm. But again, the, um, the fact that they went all the way up to the appeals court to fight Theo's ability to even have the right to bring the case mm -hmm. says volumes. Let me ask you a technical question for the lawyers that are listening. And so um, under the ADA Title II, if you win, uh, the other side pays your legal fees and costs or whatever they are. Are you considered a winner now, at least for purposes of this first part? Or do you have to wait to get paid, Matt, if you win for a final order on this whole deal we're talking about? Well, that's, that's a really interesting question. What determines it, whether or not a per well, number one, you don't get paid until the end. So, so until there's a final judgment, you don't get paid. But that's a really interesting question, Peter, because the issue is you're deemed to be a prevailing party when you, when there's a legal, when there's a legal change to this relationship, to the legal relationships of the parties. So, so the question is, now that Theo has the right to bring a suit, have there been a change to the legal relationships of the parties? And that's a question that courts really haven't resolved yet, but it's a really important question because before filing this appeal, Theo Karen Salas had no right to bring another ADA claim against the city of Miami Springs for his entire life, notwithstanding how his disability progressed. In my opinion, that's a change in the legal relationship of the party. So we have won before we even get to the merits of the case. Mm -hmm. But again, the whole issue about changing the legal relationships of, of the parties is an evolving area of the law that, that really hasn't been hammered out yet. In my opinion, it's, a, it's something in the law that should change. Mm -hmm. And there has been changes over time in the law. And it's something that also I proposed to, to my representative, Charlie Christ, where, where we changed, where we saying that if somebody brings a case and they change their behavior in the middle of bringing a case, persons like Theo should be the prevailing party because, because of that case, they changed their behaviors. They did the right thing. And the law, should, the law should also conform to that without determining at the end, how has the legal relationship of the parties changed? Has it changed? The bottom line is, can Theo walk down the block? Can Theo park in a parking spot? If because of his suit, he could walk down the block, he could park in a parking spot, he should be the, he should be the prevailing party. 
Well, this has been an important and fascinating discussion, Theo. You're, you're really a pioneer and a leader of self-advocate in this area. You happen to have one of the best attorneys in the country working with you. You've made great progress. We're all very proud to have spoken with you and worked with you. And I wish you the best of luck. Um, and we're very delighted at the Southeast ADA Center to share with our listeners your important story. So thank you both very much. And uh, I, I hope that we will continue to have these conversations in the future once you prevail on this next phase of this case. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. And I'd like to, as always, thank the amazing Southeast ADA team, Barry and your team for making this possible. And I turn it back to you now, Barry. All right, thank you, Peter. Listeners, our guest for this episode of Disability Rights Today has been Theo Karen Stallis and Matt Dietz, along with our host, Dr. Peter Blank. To access Disability Rights Today episodes, visit our website at disabilityrightstoday.org. All episodes are archived with streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and resources. You can listen to Disability Rights Today on SoundCloud. You can listen to Disability Rights Today on SoundCloud. You can download Disability Rights Today to your mobile device by searching your podcast app for ADA Live. If you have questions about the ADA, you can submit them at any time online at disabilityrightstoday.org or contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. And remember those calls are always free and they're confidential. Disability Rights Today is a program of the Southeast ADA Center and the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. Thanks for listening and remember your rights matter.